so tonight we're handling the objection to the gospel from transhumanism. And if you've never heard that term or know of that, we're going to unpack it as we go along. Um, it won't be the last time you probably ever heard of that, of that word because it's becoming very popular. So if we uh, will transport our argument to Alvin, remember our uh, atheist friend Alvin might say to Carol the Christian, the gospel promises salvation and eternal life. Transhumanism promises to achieve these same goals through science and technology, and no God is required. And so Carol might say, and what we want her to say, we, what, what you might say to someone is, well, why don't we compare the gospel and transhumanism and then evaluate which one achieves the goals that, they're, that they claim to have, okay? So our roadmap for tonight is that we're going to get down to clarifying terms. So we're going we're gonna to cover the what is the meaning of transhumanism? What do they mean by salvation and eternal life? What, what is their meaning of that? And then we're going to compare transhumanism with the gospel. So my aim is to give an accurate presentation of transhumanist ideas um, because they're a little bit complicated and um, I've done a lot of research on it. So we're going to talk about it more broadly, but we can talk about it in specifics if, if, you, if you want. I want to make the case, and we'll unpack this, but I wanted to give you my my aim is to make the case that the gospel achieves the truest form of transhumanism. If we think of transhumanism as transforming human beings, human persons. Okay, so the resources I used, the most uh, accessible one for you is this Humanity Plus website, which is uh, transhumanism's global website. And it has their mission, their declaration, their board. And uh, the most helpful thing I think that you can scroll through is their FAQ, which is just frequently asked questions and then they answer those questions. So you can just get online, you don't even have to buy a book and find out a lot of information about transhumanism. These other books are what uh, I use tonight for uh, my presentation. I have them here. If anybody's really interested after the talk and you, and you want to borrow it, I always lend out books. This one from human to post-human is from a Christian perspective, so it's almost like a theological critique of transhumanism. It's very helpful. So what is transhumanism, if you've never heard of it? At in, in its broadest sense, transhumanists believe science and technology will solve humanity's problems. And on their view, humanity's problems originate from our evolutionary heritage, meaning specifically we evolved with limits to our cognition, biology, and psychology. So their solution is to merge technology with human persons so that we can overcome these limits to become a new species of post-humans. And by that, we will achieve artificial immortality. And transhumanists envision this is their goal, a post-human triple S techno-utopia of super intelligence, super longevity, and super happiness. Sounds good, right? So in their own words, so this is Max Moore, 
He says, no more gods, no more faith, no more timid holding back. Let us blast out of our old forms and ignorance, our weakness and our mortality. The future belongs to post-humanity. He's one of the leading proponents of transhumanism. This is Ray Kurzweil. He says, the singularity will allow us to transcend the limitations of our biological bodies and brains. We will gain power over our fates. Our mortality will be in our hands. He's actually uh, holds a real high position in Google. So he's, he's in the artificial intelligence field of transhumanism. So one thing to get clear about transhumanism is what are their presuppositions? What are the assumptions of their claims? So tonight we're not going to argue against all of their assumptions. We're just going to grant those, those assumptions, but I need you to know them anyway. The first big one is the, they have a materialist philosophy of mind in human persons, okay? And that means there's no aspect of the human person that can't be explained by physical forces. So there's no soul, there's no immaterial soul that survives the death of the body. The human person, the way they understand it, is a bundle of molecular and cellular complexes that can be engineered and manipulated. So they trace our limitations to evolutionary history, and the way they explain it is that like accidents, disease, and starvation ended our lives before there was selection pressure to evolve cellular repair mechanisms that would keep us going beyond like 80 years. So we didn't live long enough in our evolutionary history to evolve these things that would help us live longer. So now we suffer from old age and death. And this is the problem they see that needs to be solved. It's almost like, and they'll even say this, it's a technical problem to them with a technical solution. So they're grounded in a, materi in a materialist philosophy of human persons. And this is the rival, if you will, worldview of Christianity, because we believe that the human person is a composite of body and soul, right, created by God in the image of God. So the other thing that they assume is an evolving human nature. And they actually sometimes say human nature, but what they mean is human constitution, because they don't really believe you have an essence or a nature. So uh, Nick Bostrom, who's the... He's one of the founders of the Humanity Plus organization. He says, human nature is a work in progress, a half-baked beginning that we can learn to remold in desirable ways. We can take charge over our genetic programming and achieve mastery over our biological and neurological processes. We'll enhance our intelligence, our memory, our senses, reshape our emotions by integrating technologies into ourselves. Humanity is one step along an evolutionary path of development. So that's the second assumption. In other words, it's interesting because they accept naturalistic evolution that brought us here, but they reject naturalistic evolution for the future. In other words, that now they're going to design our path towards the future. So they accept that we had naturalistic evolution. They're not happy with it, so they're going to design it for the future. The other thing they assume is a technognostic view of embodiment. And what they mean by that is they ultimately desire to be free from biology, our bodies. 
by first replacing our biology with artificial technology, then to be free from the body altogether by uploading our brain pattern to a computer. So that's kind of the end game, but there's lots of steps in between. Then to be free from the body altogether, okay, and it would be wrong to assume, it's weird because you think of your body as matter, so, and they're materialists, so they value matter, but it would be wrong to think they think that, that the body being matter is an ultimate good. They, they instead don't value embodiment or biology. Uh, they want to be liber liberated from it. So I just find that a little bit interesting. And then one thing they depend upon, an assumption that they have, is that they have to achieve AGI and the singularity. And I'm going to kind of just briefly explain what that is. Their, their aims and their projects are dependent on the success of artificial general intelligence and superintelligence, which will usher in the singularity. Now, artificial general intelligence, or sometimes called AGI, it will be achieved when computers have human-level intelligence. Okay, that hasn't happened yet. And superintelligence is when computers surpass human intelligence. And the singularity is the point at which a superintelligent machine drives rapid progress toward a techno-utopia. Okay? Are y'all with me? Do you have clarification questions? Or is that, is that, that's pretty basic definitions, right? But you've got it. So even though there's AI today, narrow AI, what we call strong AI or AGI hasn't happened. Okay, that's where a computer is, has human level general intelligence. Okay, the other thing that's so interesting is they, they, they are counting on achieving the super happiness project. Now you notice that was in their 3S civilization. Um, because they, they found, they, they, they reasoned this out that no amount of human enhancement related to cognitive and super longevity will guarantee a greater degree of happiness because our evolutionary history has evolved us with a, with a set hedonic point, a hedonic set point that's low. So what they say is that we're all not very happy. We're, our, our happiness level is low, meaning if in, to observe it would be like, you may get a really good grade on an exam, makes you really happy, but generally you will come back down to a lower, you could be very happy, but you kind of hover around a set hedonic set point is what they call it. Or you could be really sad, but you generally come back up to this hedonic set point. And they say everyone has too low of a hedonic set point. So what they plan to do is use genetic engineering and neuropharmaceuticals to abolish human suffering to raise our hedonic set point so that we're happy all the time or we're happier. We have a higher happiness hedonic set point. Um, <laughs> this, this, this realization they had was kind of, is kind of remind. Do you all know Louis C.K., the com comedian? Okay, if you look on YouTube, he has a bit that's called, Everything's Amazing and Nobody's Happy. Have you ever heard it? It, it? it explains this idea that they're having, that even if they enhance everybody technologically, it, uh, it, it, nobody's happy, 
Right. So it can't, they can't be successful or achieve their goals because people aren't, aren't going to be happy. Anyway, look that up, Louis C.K. It's kind of funny. But all of these things can be critiqued um, to argue that their claims won't be realized. And the reason, the main one is the, their materialist philosophy of mind and human persons. Um, we could argue that they have an inadequate philosophy of what a human person is. So their, their plans for enhancing humanity won't, won't be realized. But we're not going to do that tonight. We're mainly just, we're comparing their claims, even just, even, even if we just say uh, minimal facts, that their claims for salvation and eternal life can't match the, the gospel claims. Okay, so what about, any questions so far? Yes. So it's when you have to achieve AGI, which is human level intelligence, then that computer will become a super intelligence. And the singularity is when uh, computers become so smart and so fast and, and it just, uh, our whole world will change because um, of, of the super intelligence. Okay. So. Uh, also, the, the term you used, hedonic, what was it? Yeah, happiness set point. Is it's that just the same root as hedonism. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so in that project, which we're, which we're really not going to cover tonight, they want to abolish suffering, emotional suffering. So through, they think that your emotions are grounded in the physical, right? In your brain chemistry. So they're going to change it by genetic engineering and neuropharmaceuticals. That's the super happiness project. Okay. So. What is, what is there, what do they mean by transhumanists offer salvation? So their salvation really is, this is how, how they would say it, to transcend our limitations in cognition, biology, and psychology by merging ourselves with technology. And I, I, I've heard this call, and I kind of call it myself, the double blur. And that just means at, on this end, they're building machines to be persons, who will surpass human intelligence. And on the other end, they're transforming human persons into machines through artificial technological enhancements. So it's a thing happening at the same time. They're both projects going on. Um, but now salvation for them happens in stages. So the end is posthumanism, right? But the, the stages involved is our first big uh, emerging technology is biotechnology. And I have to tell you that um, the way this plays out, or the way they want it to play out, is that each emerging technology first is applied to therapeutic health for humans, a good thing, cure diseases, help people, bring them to, func to, their, to their normal function. That would be therapy therapeutic therapy, right? So, he, but what they use then, as soon as there's therapies in place, they want to use it for enhancing humans. So the same technologies could be, we would say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. And they would say, great, because every healing to them, every healing application is a justification for an upgrade 
for enhancement. So healing, remember, means to repair, restore to proper function. And enhancement is to go beyond natural function, go beyond human, not give you 20-20 vision, give you x-ray vision or night vision or whatever. Sam wanted, did you want a robot arm? Yes. yes you want, he wanted a, a, you know, superhuman, you know, legs or arms or things like that. Okay. That's the enhancement part. So in biotechnology, the, the one thing you'll look for is gene editing, is the big emerging technology. And the thing that they will want to use the most, and you've heard of CRISPR? Have you ever heard of CRISPR, which is gene editing, which is a great technology um, that's being developed. And um, it can do things like cure, I think the first thing that we'll try to do is cure single gene diseases, right? A disease that's the result of one single gene mutation. Um, there's over 10,000 of those kind. So it would be like sickle cell, cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, ALS, the list goes on. Um, but the, it gets complicated because there's only so many of those monogenetic uh, diseases that, that, you know, they can do like that. But what transhumanists will want to do is um, basically you have designer babies. Like you, wanna, you want a baby that wants to play NBA basketball? Well, they've got to be tall, right? But guess what? <laughs> There are 700 genes that affect height. These are, I'm telling you the, some of the challenges that are going to have to take place for them to do anything about enhancement, okay? So like 700 genes affect height. That's a lot of genetic editing, right, for an, to do to an embryo. Um, let's say you want your child to be really super smart, super intelligent. Well, it's the same thing. There's so many genes that affect intelligence. And the weird thing is that sometimes a certain gene affects several traits. And so, like maybe affect intelligence, increase intelligence, but do something, you know, terrible to another trait. So it kind of reminds me of, the, I mean, you know, the commercials I have for a drug. Get this drug and you'll cure your... You know, no, your sleep disorder or whatever, you're going to cure that. But they said, but it'll give you, you know, nausea, vomiting, and all these, <laughs> you know, and it gives you the list of terrible things that, that are. So, yeah, yeah, it may uh, uh, cause you to commit suicide or, think, you know, things like that, right? So um, it, it kind of reminds me of that because the, the gene expression, gene expression is so complicated that, even if they are trying to target, it, let's say, intelligence, it could end up that it gives you cancer, right? Or, or you know, like he said, sudden death or something like that. Um, the gene editing that they're most, um, pro you know, proposing is germline gene editing, and that's on early stage embryos. And that makes whatever change they edit inheritable so that 
if they do and if they can get every early stage embryo, they could eradicate a disease, right? Because it would be inheritable, never be, yeah. Yeah, so there's actually, uh, this, this was done without like global research consent, and I think that the researchers have act, are actually like. They were arrested. They were arrested. Yeah, they're in China. Yeah, in China. Yeah. Twins that were modified in order to be completely, or the goal was to have them be uh, resistant slash immune to the HIV. Virus. HIV. They could have done it differently too. But anyway, they did. The Chinese, the Chinese doctors did this. So germline gene editing, just so you know, it's not legal right now. And mostly, yeah. Frowned upon by all, all countries. But Everyone frowned upon it. Yeah. So they, they have a ban on germline gene editing. We're going to talk about, about that in a minute. But I think that it's going to happen. Um, I think as Christians, we would want to question uh, with, with early stage embryo research, they're destroying lots of life. They're destroying embryos in the process. So even though transhumanists wouldn't care about the thousands and thousands of embryos that are, if you believe life starts in, the, you know, in that embryo, then you would want to say, uh, no, I don't think this is a good idea, even on that score. Even if it saved, uh, even if we could eradicate a, a disease, right? So it's, so, so it's kind of controversial. You know, a Christian would ha have to make a case for that, that destroying millions of embryos is not the, is not valuing human dignity, right? So anyway, that's what we're up against. And, and I think that on all these technologies, there will be a therapeutic use that we have no problem with. So um, we wouldn't have a problem with somatic uh, germ uh, somatic gene editing, where they're just curing your disease you, you know, and it's not a, a, a germline gene edit. Um, so, but it's what the transhumanists want to use. And it's, it, it's funny because usually you think of slippery slope as a bad analogy, right? You know, you don't want anything that's a slippery slope. Well, they actually call their method of doing business here the slippery slope method. And they want it to be a slippery slope. They want it to you know, slip into enhancement from therapy. So the next one is nanotechnology. Have you heard of this? Nanotechnology, so James Tour is in, he's a Christian uh, who is, is researching, researcher in nanotechnology, he's at Rice. It's manipulating and controlling matter at the atomic, molecular, and supramolecular level. And it will also be used in therapeutic, you know, for use, for bringing people back, repairing, restoring, bringing us back to normal function. And so it's like putting a tiny computer into a, a molecule and inserting it in your body to do work to diagnose disease or repair organs or deliver a drug or destroy a virus or cancer cells. 
they can use these little nanobots to make artificial blood cells for people with blood cancer. Um, the, the one that, the use that transhumanists like to talk about is the use of using nanobots to replace the neurons in your brain. So what they plan to do is uh, in, you know, integrate into your brain artificial brain neurons that interface with the internet initially. And then when there, if there's a super intelligence, you could, inter, you could interface with super intelligence. So it's called brain machine interface. Doesn't that sound great? <laughs> Some people get excited about that. I don't at all. But uh, so there are therapeutic uses for even nanotechnology, but it would quickly maybe uh, go into enhancements, especially when you get into uh, neural, neural implants. Okay. Um, the next stage is called global brain. Have you ever heard of this? So this is a natural progression from stages one and two, which basically gives us radical longevity is what they're after with biotechnology and nanotechnology. The global brain is when humans merge with superintelligence or AGI, and you could also have brain-to-brain -brain connection with people. So you could have like a collection of brain power on a topic. I always think of the Borg. Do you know what the Borg is? Star Trek? Are y'all too young for Star Trek? Dang! Y'all don't watch Star Trek? Okay, so the Borg, anyway. I, I always think of the Borg when I think of global brain. But this is further along. So one and two are this, the longevity, getting, this, getting this, this radical longevity, right? And the, after global brain is then mind uploading, which is um, they work on something called whole brain emulation. I was talking, who, who, who talking? was it Caleb? We were talking about it. So either it's gradual brain emulation or destructive uh, brain emulation. Either they have to destroy your brain to copy it onto a computer or they they scan your brain so carefully that, that, that you're you, but that you've also got a copy of you. It's, the identity problems are really interesting. So, and there could be multiple copies of you, which they think is a great idea. But. And then post-humanity, post-humans are free from biology. So we've lived so long that really even the artificial parts that they've put into our biology or that they've tried to get us to live longer have worn out so that we need a hard you know, machine to, to upload our conscious onto, conscience, consciousness onto. And so we're free from biology. And um, Ray Kurzweil calls these stages a bridge to a bridge to a bridge. Now he's an older guy. He's try, he does all kinds of things to, to, to be in the state, to stay, in, stay alive for all these emerging technologies. But so what they, what, what he, the, the reason why he says a bridge to a bridge is because we're a long way off to being, you know, mind uploading and post-human, which is their goal. So we've got to stay alive for that, right? And so one of the things is, well, if you think you might not make it, like 
if I probably won't make it. So you can always do cryonics. Have you ever heard of cryonics? So they freeze your head. They freeze your head. And then when all of this comes to be, they, because they just need your brain. They don't need you. They just need your brain. So they just cut your head off and they freeze it. And this is true. I mean, I'm not just making this stuff up. Uh, it's in that hideous strength in C.S. Lewis's book, but he, he, he's right. It really is what they do. So they freeze your head and then you can be resuscitated and, or they can scan your brain when all of this becomes available. So that's how crazy it is. But they're serious about it and this is actually stuff that's being worked on. I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to pull one over on you. Do you have any questions about about the stages of salvation? Does it sound appealing at all? Does, doesn't the, the longevity, though? No? Curing diseases? Yeah, Ben? In what way do they think that this is this either um, not inevitable or inevitable? Or do they think that history will eventually... They are so optimistic. So they're very optimistic. Um, to the... Kind of utopian, so it would be it's a utopian movement, yeah, but they never talk about sin, so the human condition of sin never enters their framework. remember we we were just physical, so um, there's no project to cure sin, only physical things, right yeah, Sam it seems like the uh, case that Kayla brought up about China is part of this overall picture to where if you have something that's looked on as taboo in society, then what you really need is a brave scientist yeah. to to break the rules so that everyone starts following suit. Um, and, and to have a success, and, yeah. And, yeah, right. and um, to push past from the therapeutic use to... Yeah. Well, uh, see, the, the Chinese guys, that was therapeutic totally. It was a therapeutic use of gene editing. Um, so they, are, they do put, are pushing for that because once that's available and done well, they can, they can ramp it up to enhancement. That's, their, that's kind of their method. That's what they call uh, the slippery slope method. They, they, call they call it that, yeah, yeah, which is interesting. Um, so the next thing is trans is what do they mean by um i had trouble with that what do they mean by eternal life so they say they have uh, an alternative to the gospel regarding our uh, eternal life and we kind of talked about it we know that they want to be um super longevity and digital immortality but it's hard to imagine what they actually you know what that would be like and whether it's good or bad Right? Is it good? Is it good for us to live a radically long time in this world? Is that right? And so the meaning of eternal life, I just wanted to tell you, is um, extending your lifespan for as long as the universe endures. So they don't have a solution for the heat death of the universe. Okay? They acknowledge that. So you, they actually don't overcome death. They just live a really long time until the universe dies. Then there's death, 
okay? So it's a little bit of a misnomer, but they still call it things like digital immortality, radical life extension, indefinite lifespan, cybernetic immortality. And the, the thing that comes to my mind is Ecclesiastes 3.11. I can't, you know, I can't argue with them that they desire eternal life or eternity, that they have a that they have a longing for that because God has set eternity in our hearts. And if, we're, if he put that in every human heart, then they're just trying to solve it without God and by the works of their hands, right? But there's still the longing we can have common ground with and kind of um, steer them to the Bible that, that the reason that you have this desire is, is because of God. Um, so sometimes it's, it's I, do y'all want to talk about Tolkien or not? Because we could just jump to the conclusion. But you like Tolkien or not? Do y are y'all are at Middle Earth? No? Okay. So oddly enough, Tolkien's overall message he wrote in a letter to someone that death is not what his message from Lord of the Rings was that ultimately death is not the enemy. The enemy is the hideous peril of confusing serial longevity with true immortality. So Tolkien would say for transhumanists, their enemy is the danger of confusing their super longevity in this world with true immortality beyond this world. So that's the danger that they're in by confusing their version of immortality in this world with true immortality. So the rings of power, remember the ring, the precious, is the advanced technology of Middle Earth. And the, it has the power, remember, the, the rings that the um, Nazgul wear, the ring wraiths, it has the power, and the one ring has the power of immortality and enhancement. I don't know if y'all knew that, but it's similar to what we're talking about, the emerging technologies that, we're, that we just got through talking about. And I think the One Ring, the One Ring, uh, Sauron's Ring, is similar to the superintelligence, right, that rules over all. So the interesting thing that Tolkien did was talk about uh, death and immortality with the elves and men. So remember, the elves are immortal within Arda. Remember? They, they are different. Their, their nature is they're immortal within the world of Arda, as long as Arda live, is, is, um, endures. But they envied men because men had the gift of death and could leave the endless circles of the world and go to the afterlife after Arda, right? So they were jealous and envious of men because men had the gift of death. They called it the, that, that Iluvatar gave them the gift of death. So that's a little bit of a different perspective of how we think. But the men of Middle-earth, um, they're envious of the elves because they want to be immortal within Arda, right? Which leads to the Nazgul. And that, those, that's the one I, w I would think that is the most 
analogous of what we're talking about as far as if you're thinking about if it's good or bad. So remember the, the, there were some men, nine men, who took the, the nine rings from uh, Sauron and they became mighty men at first when they wore the ring. But their unending life, and they had an unending life, it, it, there, it gave them this immortality beyond their nature. And, but at, when you meet them for the first time, they're not mighty men, right? They, they faded. They don't even have bodies, right? They have the, it's, <laughs> I wish I had a, a video of it. Remember they have the, the capes and they're bodiless. They've faded. Um, and they're controlled by Sauron. So the Nazgul represent the consequences of submitting to artificial longevity against one's mortal nature. And Aristotle said, only natural existence is a good thing. Continuing to exist in any other way, in an unnatural way, is worse than death. And I think that's what Tolkien kind of brings out. Because you think of Gollum, right? That's an, what the ring did to him, unnatural. Bilbo had something to say about how he felt about wearing the ring so long. So anyway, it's just something to think about in your imagination if you think that living a, living, living, um, a radically long life in this broken world, serial longevity, if, that could, if you think that might be a good thing, right? then it's good to imagine someone who's actually done it and see how it turned out. So um, we didn't talk about the Numenorians. We did talk about the Nazgul. Okay. So the last thing we need to do is just a quick comparison. I don't know why this thing didn't change. Okay. So the one thing about that I like about talking about transhumanism with the gospel is um, we have common ground because we're talking about the same big questions. We just have different answers. So they've got the big questions right. They're just trying to, uh, the solution is with the works of their hands and not God's grace. So the problem, remember, is that our evolutionary heritage has given us a limited cognition, biology, and emotions. And that's just, to them, it's a technical problem that needs a technical solution. Our, our, the way Christianity views the problem of our human condition is due to our rejection of God, we experience spiritual and physical death and separation from God, right, since the fall. And the solution for transhumanism is just to transcend our physical limitations to merge with technology. But remember, there's not any solution on transhumanism for sin. So you think, you think you've got bad problems with computer viruses in your computer. What about if the computer little nanobots were in your brain and you got a virus, computer virus? And computer viruses are just evil, right, from, from human sin, right? Just someone who wants to wreck and destroy, and they could do the same thing to your neurons, your brain. Okay. Um, so they have no solution for sin. And the gospel, by God's grace, Christ offers atonement for our sin, 
And by receiving his offer, our spirit and body can be redeemed. Our spirit and body right, can be redeemed. And salvation on, text, tech, on transhumanism is a technognostic escape from our body. So they don't actually value biolo our biology. Um, and it's through the uploading of our brain patterns to a computer is how they'll achieve that. That's the salvation. And the gospel claim is that we're reconciled with God and ultimately a resurrected body we will have to experience the new heaven and earth. So embodied existence is essential to our humanity. And we know that really from the incarnation and also the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Um, so death for, for transhumanism is... Uh, their view of death or overcoming death is uploading brain patterns to a computer and the digital super longevity, but it's only until the heat death of the universe. So actually, they don't actually overcome death. They prolong it, I think, is what you would say. And for, for the gospel, we have true immortality beyond this broken world, and we will transcend our finite limits will transcend sin and death. So, did y'all have any questions on that? Um, yeah, just a, a, a question, and I think you were, you were getting at this when you were talking about Tolkien. Overcoming disease, lofty goal, uh, but just living longer by no means solve the human problems. Right. I mean, what, what, I mean, think of what happens on a daily basis, right? We fight with the neighbors. We do hateful, hurtful things to each other. Yeah. Uh, people steal, lie, cheat. And just living longer doesn't solve any of that. I know. Right? Right. But do they deal with that at no, all? No, they don't deal with sin at all. And I think what they think the Super Happiness Project will solve all that because we'll just be... We, it, and they don't ch in Super Happiness Project, they don't actually change your circumstances. They change your response to circumstances. So actually, you're losing touch with reality. And uh, the, the other thing that I see missing from, from this is, you know, in Christianity, we talk about eternal life, but it's not just eternal life. It's eternal life with God. Right. It's an infinitely beautiful being. And so we get to enjoy God. And with transhumanism, it's just, you know, it's, it's a finite world forever. You never yeah. get to an in, in this broken world. Yeah. <clears throat> That's right. It's what Sam and I talked about. Uh, remember in the garden when, when God uh, made Adam and Eve leave the garden and, and, they, and posted guards, right, firing in the analogy, uh, and said, um, you have to leave lest you eat of the tree of life and live forever. Because remember, they, it was after the fall they had sinned. And the idea is that God is, you know, we talked about Genesis, not, not necessarily that there is a tree that they were trying to get to or needed to get to, but that God is the source of, life, of eternal life that he, that he would have given them. But the fall then changed that traje trajectory and they had to leave the garden. But it, it, 
highlights the fact that he already thought then that it was a bad idea in your sinful state if you live forever on this, in this world, right? That's what he didn't, that was off the, that was off the table, in other words, even in the very beginning. So I think he would always say that that's not a good idea. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure they're in some of the stuff I've read. Um, but you mean like in changing society, in, in doing more external stuff? Because most of their projects are, are, they're almost narcissistic. So they're applying technology to humans, not trying to fix society. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, 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 Donna Haraway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that kind of, that's what I was thinking about, like, social criticism. I didn't know if that counted as, like, a solution for sin at all or not, like, their attempt to handle that. You know, she, um, remind me of her view, because she wouldn't consider herself a transhumanist, would she? She doesn't go all the way. She doesn't believe in the post-human digital immortality, I don't well, think. conceptual framework that comes with embodied human existence that prevents us from conceiving of a post-human world at all. You know, things like the duality of human experience and so forth. Yeah. You know, Don Haraway, she was a, fit, uh, it was a feminist work. Yeah. I know. I watched a lecture of hers, and I, I, have, I think I have her book. And it's, she's very well read. There is a, so this is more the tech, technical, there is a transhumanism that's more, um, and it's not philosophical, it's more social. Um, and I, I, I think they go together, but they are diff different as far as projects, the, you know, the three projects. She does talk about cy cybernetics a lot and cyborgs. Um, well, um, in fact, like the transgender Martine Rothblatt, is that his name? Former woman, now he's a man. Um, he would say transgenderism is the pathway to transhumanism because it just, uh, you don't, not only can you think differently about your body, well, you don't need your body at all. So it's like a step, step toward. Yeah. 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 It's unrelated to the transgender discussion. Um, but one thing I find interesting is that they want to, like, raise the bar on our happiness meter. Right. Um, but I feel like when you look at a lot of studies, a lot of our like biological our happiness is tied to our biology. Right? Well, that's what their their claim is that so our that our moods and everything are tied to biology. Oh, are you saying? I'm saying like I walk outside oh. and I get the sunlight and that right. generates a response. Right. Okay. 
So you make such a good point, and I, and I forgot to say this. So the Super Happiness Project is only viable and it's only in play when we still have biology because it has to do with neuropharmaceuticals in your brain and genetic engineering. But once we go to posthumanism, we don't have any biology. So there's no, there, there's an, the, the super happiness project is, is obsolete at that point. So Does that make sense? So they would they would say it's just uh, uh, chemicals in your brain, but the the whole super happiness project deal that deals with your body that had that where you still have a body and your gene editing and doing neuropharmaceuticals, that project is obsolete after you after you get onto it after you upload your mind onto a computer. What? To bridge to a bridge to a bridge. Yeah, so it's only a viable project in that probably stage one, two, and three. And then it, it basically goes away because they actually think that, that all of your um, morals and your happiness are rooted in biology. Your morals. Yeah, your morals too. Well, they, they don't really talk about morals much, but yeah, morality. Yeah, Ben. I just wanted to add on to Jackson's question. I think that um, obviously they get the what happiness is to be wrong and saying that happiness is equated with pleasure. And I yeah. some previous discussion with you that you agree with that. So I was wondering yeah. if you might expand and you know, sort of hash out where you think they go wrong. Well, so the the alter the better alternative to their hedonistic imperative, and they're utilitarians, by the way, total utilitarians and hedonistic, the, the book on super happiness is called the hedonistic imperative. But um, so virtue-based happiness is actually what, a hum, what, what, what I would recommend for human persons. So Aristotelian virtue-based happiness, yeah. And what? Yeah, it would be, it, it, I mean, it, it goes back to Aristotle, so yeah, yeah. So virtue-based happiness. Um, in other words, so we had a big, I mean, anyway, we can't get into it, but so they wouldn't say that, uh, they, they say feeling happy is what they would, they would concentrate on instead of being a person who's virtuous and, and, the, uh, and then happy, right? So feeling instead of being, right? right. Sam. Um, it seems like you've, we should push against some of these things, and that we should try and put forward a better alternative to the world. But at some point, I feel like we're going to face the accusation: "Oh, you're just against science." Right. So how do we deal with that? Well, it's gonna it it's kind of going to, like a lot of things, going to boil down to you getting to, you know, they're all for free choice at first to enhance yourself, right? They're all for capitalism, free choice. You, you should have the right to choose whether you enhance yourself. And so just knowing, and, and I'll be the first to say that we, there might be some gray areas between therapy and enhancement. Okay, 
but we could probably draw some lines, right? And you, and you could, um, I don't know. Y'all watch Black Mirror? Okay, so anyway, so you could see from there some of the ways that you could draw a line and it could be dystopian, right? So you could reject transhumanism. You could accept therapy and uses like uh, that, that the emerging technologies would be used for. And also because you're a Christian and you know, and you, and you came to this talk, you know that you don't have to accept and go down the, 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 um, the further road to enhancements. Like I was telling Sam, you know, you might want to say, well, I'm getting on this train. This is pretty good. I mean, curing diseases and, and everything like that seems like a good thing. But you need to know where to get off, right? And so even in the, in, in these, these emerging technologies are happening now. These aren't going to happen in the, I mean, they're developing, but what I'm saying is they're started already, like we've talked about CRISPR. So um, let's, go, let's do the takeaway slide, then we can, and then we can talk more at REVS. But so my takeaways are just that transhumanism and the gospel are answering the same big question. So it's an opportunity for you to talk to somebody who's into this and say, you're on to something. This is a there is a problem with the human condition, but we're not going to solve it by the works of our hands, only by God's grace. So you have, a, you have a chance to give the gospel. Also, for Christians, I think it's interesting if we say there already exists a superintelligent being. His name is God and the creator, right? They think they're making a superintelligence, and we can say there already exists a superintelligent being, and it's God. And there's already been a merger of human nature and with the superintelligence. And it's called the incarnation, when Jesus, superintelligent God, took on human nature. So we say, it already happened, and it happened in history. And then embodiment is part of what it means to be human. So the gospel promises a future that ultimately includes embodiment. And we know that because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And the gospel offer, uh, so I would just tell them that, that, no, no, the gospel offers the truest form of transhumanism or transforming human beings. And that they should take the gospel seriously and investigate the evidence for its claims, which, which what is what we do at Russia Christie. And so we have uh, stuff already posted that would be arguments for existence of God, for the incarnation, for arguments for the resurrection, and things that you could point them to. But it's worth, in other words, you, you want them to know it's worth pursuing again if they've rejected the gospel. It's worth investigating its claims again because it's superior to transhumanism. <laughs>